Hello everybody. This sermon is the first in our new series looking at the book of Ruth. The series is entitled Lessons in Commitment. This time we're looking at Ruth chapter 1 and the title is A Commitment to Sufferers. In difficult times we find ourselves facing difficult decisions. In times of disaster those decisions can become agonising. Over the last 15 weeks, I've had many conversations with people struggling their way through this crisis. All of them have been wrestling with one decision or another. Here are a few that have been voiced to me personally. Should I send my child back to school? Should I travel to see my lonely grandmother? Should I wear a face mask? Should I take a mortgage holiday? Should I trust that email asking for my details? Should I attend a Black Lives Matter protest when it's technically illegal? Should I cancel my holiday? Should I give a refund to that cancelled booking? Should I continue to pay my cleaner? Should I go to the co-op just for a sandwich? Should I sell my shares or wait for the stock market to recover? All of these are difficult decisions and we would never have dreamed of having to make them back in only January or February of this year. Disasters create uncertainty. We must make choices. That fills us with anxiety. Why don't you pause this sermon right now and think for a moment about what decisions you have had to make. How have you made them? How have they made you feel? The book of Ruth begins with a disaster and as a result three very difficult decisions need to be made. First Elimelech must decide on whether he should emigrate with his family. In a time of famine is it best to leave God's promised land? Should he live among the enemy in order to provide food for those he loves? Second once bereaved, Naomi must decide on whether she returns home to Israel. She has none of her menfolk left. Her family's time in Moab has been a failure. Should she now return to her old community where she could be mocked or treated as a traitor? Third, Orpah and Ruth have a decision to make. Should they stick by their mother-in-law and travel to Judah to rem or remain in Moab? At home, they have the opportunity to remarry an extended family to look after them. In Judah, they'll be aliens with very few prospects. Yet Naomi has been good to them and really does need their help. What should they do? These are three agonisingly difficult decisions. I wonder what you would have done in those situations. I wonder what I would have done. However, the book of Ruth is designed to show us that behind all these difficult choices, there is one overriding decision to make. One ultimate question to which our answer will define every aspect of our lives for the foreseeable future. And it is this. In our time of disaster, are we going to keep trusting God or not? The book begins with Elimelech making the wrong decision. 
The opening verse tells us that this story is set in the days of the judges. If you take the time to read the book in the Bible that comes directly before Ruth by that name, you will know that this is not good news. The days of the judges were days of moral degradation and oppression. Worst of all, they were days of apostasy, days when God was rejected. In the introduction to Judges, we read this verse. The Lord was very angry with Israel because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me. When God called Israel together as his people and gave them the law to guide them, he was very clear. He expected obedience. Disobedience would have consequences. One of those consequences specifically listed in Deuteronomy 28 was that if Israel broke the covenant, they would experience famine in their land. Whereas if they obeyed, they would know blessing. This withholding by God was his way of calling his people back and he warned Israel that this would be his method well in advance. What then does the book of Ruth begin with? A famine. The writer wants us to see that the context of everything that takes place is God's people breaking the covenant. As the opening continues, we're about to get a personal example of this. Elimelech's name in Hebrew means, my God is king. But ironically, that's the exact opposite to how he behaves. At the first sign of trouble, he abandons the promised land and turns to the enemy of Israel. It was not long ago that in Numbers 25, Moab had deliberately seduced Israel into idolatry and sin, causing terrible destruction. In fact, there had never been much love lost between these two. So what the text is implying is that as the famine hits, Elimelech makes the decision to trust in his own resources and his own schemes rather than the faithfulness of God. It seems that it's only Elimelech and his family that make this move from Bethlehem to Moab. No one else goes. And this is a sure sign that it was a wrong step. The man whose name means my God is king rejects God as his king and thinks he can sort things out better by himself. But this is not the end of the family's unfaithfulness. The bad decisions continue. Once in Moab, Elimelech's two sons are allowed by their father to marry two Moabite women. Notice that we're never told which son gets which girl. The author doesn't care. That is because, again, it's the wrong move. It was very clear in the law that Jews were not supposed to marry foreigners. Far too many times that led to them going astray and beginning to worship false gods. In relation to the enemy Moab, those sanctions were particularly severe. Because of the danger they posed, any offspring of marriages to Moabites were not allowed into the assembly of God's people right down to the tenth generation. Knowing this background, we have to ask the question, is it a coincidence that both these marriages remain childless even after 10 years of trying? Is it a coincidence that it was the mistaken men who were infertile 
whereas the innocent women later conceived, as shown by Ruth bearing a son? Could it be that God withheld water in the famine and fertility in the marriages because his people had made the worst of decisions? They had rejected him in his word and turned to their own devices. The text does not say this specifically, but we are surely supposed to read it between the lines. Now, it's very unlikely that Naomi had any say whatsoever in these decisions. At that time, women simply did what the men told them to do. And as we read through the rest of the chapter, we discover that it is Naomi who has preserved belief in the sovereignty of her God. In verse 6, she realises that it was the Lord who had come to the aid of his people by providing food once more. In verses 8 and 9, she seeks to bless her daughters-in-law in the Lord's name. And at the end of the chapter, when in great distress, she believes that the Lord must have had a hand in her affliction, so great was his reign over all things. We get the impression that if Naomi had been left to make the big decisions, the family would not have found themselves in this mess. But sadly, it is Naomi who ends up suffering the catastrophic consequences of her menfolk's bad decisions. When Naomi loses her husband and two sons, she's left with no security at all. There she was in a foreign land with no support network, no wider family of her own, and the fear of rebuke if she returned home to Judah. It was a terrible situation. One of the things this opening chapter tells us then is that we can be short-sighted by suffering. In times of disaster, pain can cloud our vision. We can end up making rash and foolish choices. The text is quite gentle towards Elimelech, Marlon and Killian. It never outright condemns their actions. The criticism is more implicit in the way the story works itself out. The author is showing compassion for them recognising that their situation was difficult, that they were under great pressure when they made their bad decisions. But bad decisions they were, as they always are when we start trusting ourselves more than God. The reality is that suffering can change us. It can make us hard, bitter, angry, selfish and self-absorbed. We all know people who have rejected God because something painful happened in their life. But suffering can only do this to us if we let it. Remember how even on the cross, when Jesus had every right to be angry and turning on himself, he opened out and prayed blessing and forgiveness on those who caused his pain. How did he do that? He did it because he remained trusting in God. If we choose to stop trusting God in times of difficulty and start to rely on our own means instead, the consequences for our lives and relationships can be severe. But notice this too. Even if we don't completely fall into faithlessness, suffering can make us doubt the truth. Pain can prevent us from seeing the ongoing signs of God's goodness that remain right before our eyes. 
Naomi's wailing lament at the end of the chapter comes directly after Ruth has made her astonishing pledge of allegiance towards her. Naomi is rightly grieving. She is understandably full of sorrow. But it's not true that she is empty. Right by her side, she has God's gift to her in her daughter-in-law. Naomi cannot see it yet, but it will be through Ruth that she is filled to overflowing once more. I think this is an important lesson for us today. We must remember that even when we cannot feel God or sense him at work, he's still there. We might not be able to see his kindness because suffering has short-sighted us, but his blessing continues. God remains working for our good. It's at times like these that we need other people to show God's love to us in tangible ways. Through their ongoing commitment to us, we slowly begin to experience God's commitment to us, a commitment that never wavers. There is a Hebrew word you need to know to fully understand the book of Ruth, for it appears throughout it. The word is hased. Chesed denotes loyalty, faithfulness, kindness, goodness, mercy and compassion. Chesed is always voluntary and always extraordinary. It denotes a going beyond the call of duty. Chesed is shown towards the weak even when they have no way of returning it. Chesed is the word that describes God's unending covenantal love for Israel. Chesed love then creates the strongest of relationships. Relationships of grace, where the recipients end up reciprocating the chesed love just out of sheer gratitude. In this chapter, God shows chesed love by coming to the aid of his people and providing food for them. God is holy, so he had to discipline them for their apostasy. God is sovereign, so he can change the weather. But God shows Hased love. He swiftly welcomes back and blesses his people on their repentance. But what is striking about Ruth 1 is that the only human being said to show Hased love in response to God are Moabites, not Jews. In this way, Ruth 1 is the equivalent of Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan we learn a very important lesson of faith from the people we least expect. Naomi tells us in verse 8 that both Orpah and Ruth have shown chesed love. She says in that verse, May the Lord show chesed love to you as you have shown chesed to your dead and to me. But the clearest way we see what this type of love is like is in Ruth's commitment to Naomi. On the way to Judah, Naomi encourages both of her daughters-in-law to go home. This is a kindness on her part, for Naomi knows how difficult it will be for them in Israel. In Moab, they could return to their wider families and get married again. In Israel, they're likely to experience hostility, rejection, poverty and alienation. Be in no doubt, it's completely understandable why Orpah turned back. It was the sensible thing to do. But Ruth just will not let Naomi go on her own. It's worth hearing her beautiful words again in full. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. 
Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. That is the most extraordinary promise. It is total, lifelong, unconditional and irrevocable. It is a stunning example of covenantal love. It is hesed. Ruth is showing to Naomi in action everything that she has come to know about Naomi's God in the decade that they have known each other. In that time, Ruth has clearly come to believe in Naomi's God for herself. It is this decision by Ruth to choose to imitate God that paves the way for the rest of the book. It is this showing of Hesed by Ruth that enables Naomi to remember it for herself. As one commentator wrote, the Hesed love that human beings show one another is the most fitting means God can use to display his own Hesed. Ruth loves Naomi. And as Naomi receives that, she discovers that God still loves her too. This brings us to the end of the first chapter of this wonderful true story. Many of us will have heard it before. But what are we to take away from it this time as we read it during this coronavirus crisis? First, we are to recognise that in times of disaster, decisions need to be made. There'll be lots of little choices thrust upon us that make us anxious and uncomfortable. But ultimately, the most important decision that we will all have to make is whether we're going to keep trusting God or not. In Ruth, those that didn't ended up in even more trouble, whereas those that did found God by their side, bringing them through to the blessing of a new beginning. I urge us all to hang on to God and keep the faith through this time. Second, we must realise that as human beings, we can be short-sighted by suffering. Pain can lead us to make bad choices. It can also lead us to feeling alone and cast off by God when really we are not. That is why we need other Christians to be our eyes and ears at times like this. We need others to believe for us, to hold us up through our struggles and dejection. God really can use the prayers, advice and support of our church family to rekindle our hopes and bring us new life. Finally, we must remember God's covenant commitment to us. God is sovereign. God is love. He will not let us go. Even in the times when he's had to discipline us, he restores us as swiftly as possible. God has not left us in this crisis, far from it. His Hesed love is still real. God is at work right now, bringing us through this. As we realise this, we are then to allow ourselves to be shaped by that love enough to start showing it to others. The book of Ruth is all about commitment. God's commitment to his people through the centuries, to his world and to us today. Let us make the decision to trust that truth. And let us make the decision to respond to this crisis by showing practical commitment to those who are suffering 
rather than running away to seek our own ends, to love just as Ruth loved Naomi.